Welcome back to the Mixed Bag Podcast. Um, Abby and Justin are back, and we're here for kind of a quick recap of the Solheim Cup. Um, before we get into it, though, um, Justin, how is high school golf going? It is winding down. It's had its ups. It's had its downs. I've learned a lot about managing and dealing with teenage boys, but tonight we had our last nine-hole match at Sylvania Country Club, and Saturday is our last tournament, but more importantly, Thursday starts the state tournament. So our Thursday is our sectional tournament. If we advance out of there, for which I am very optimistic, we'll play in districts next Thursday with a chance to go down to Columbus, Ohio for the state tournament in a couple of weeks. So as we've talked about up in Ohio, it is a short high school golf season. We've played 20 plus events and matches in about 56 days. So you really pack it in, but it's good. We're coming along. I think we are, we hit a bit of a rough patch. Hopefully we're getting over that and persevering and, optimism and hopefulness is high. I love it. Great to hear. Um, yeah. Can't wait for the end of the year uh, recap. <laughs> right. Yes. When I can just throw everybody and anybody under the bus. Totally. We didn't, we didn't reach our goals because of this person <laughs> or we succeeded because of this person. It's a no holds bar final recap. You know, who wants the truth? I think it's like the, the Dundies. Uh <laughs> And I can't From wait. Yeah, I can't wait to see who you give awards to. Right, player that let the team down the most this year yeah. is presented to. Yeah. Perfect. That's good stuff. Good. You know what I saw today? I think that so Inverness um, held a collegiate women's tournament this week. I think it yep. was broadcast somewhere, and I'm disappointed they didn't put you in the booth. <laughs> it was on ESPN Plus. The University of Toledo has their own kind of production oh my that does like their basketball games and stuff like that. So they were setting up some scaffolding on Sunday wow. to do probably two to three holes. They put a camera on 18, camera up on 15. I'm not sure if they maybe a couple handhelds, but they uh, it is produced and it is shown online on ESPN Plus. For all to see, I imagine with limited resources, covering a golf tournament is a challenge, but it is nice. They do it when the University of Toledo men and the University of Toledo women host their intercollegiate events at Inverness, which they alternate years this year, yeah. was the women's event. And they had a really strong uh, field, a diverse field of teams from all over the country came into play and looked like a good event. It wasn't the best couple days here. It was a little cool and a a little rainy and to no surprise to anyone that goes and watches college golf, they were unable to get in 36 holes yesterday. Ah. I think they got in about maybe 30 holes and had to make it all up today, but not exactly the fastest of pace of play in the collegiate ranks. Nope. Um, well, I'm going to write a letter and I am going to get us in the booth for 2025 when the women are back. Um, really looking forward to that. Congratulations to the University of Florida. Uh, Beth Wu, who's been on the podcast, is the assistant coach at UF. So uh, congrats to them. And we'll, we'll be in the booth. We'll see you there in 25. 
Sounds awesome. Can't wait. Post renovation, you know, redo. It'll be, you know, a really exciting stuff. And I'm sure we'll be even better at live TV than we are in a podcast. <laughs> I'm just like imagining it. It just doesn't look good. Right. Uh, Is there a dump? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, good stuff. From the For the Ladies perspective, we are headed to Aaron Hills this weekend for our final golf getaway. No, not our final golf getaway of the season. Our third one of the season um, should be super fun. We've got 36 of us headed there, two rounds of golf at Aaron Hills, and uh, super excited to, to for everybody to be there. Uh, Aaron Hills is the host of the 2025 U.S. Women's Open, so should be a very fun weekend. But if Aside from that, we've got a full slate of events uh, for this fall um, and just wanted to also note, we are always seeking volunteers. I cannot be at 125 events. So um, if you see an event coming up and you would like to volunteer at it, just give me a shout. And yeah, let's just uh, time to get into the Solheim Cup. Uh, final score, 14-14, Europe retains the cup. Justin, can you explain what it means to retain the cup? Sure. So they celebrated like they won. (laughs) And at the end of the day, whenever there's a competition, I think you can say that who's ever holding the trophy at the end, probably to a large degree is the winner. And given these events have 28 points at stake, there is no overtime. They end when they end the team that is the reigning champion. In this case, it was Europe. In the upcoming Ryder Cup, it is the United States. The defending champion only needs to tie to retain the cup. It's kind of like the tie goes to the champion. If you want to beat the champion, you got to knock them off, you know, the mountaintop. You can't tie them and, you know, say what you will, but you have to beat them. So Europe retains the cup. They are viewed as the champion, even though historically it will go down as a tie. Yes. And just note, this is the same thing that could happen with like the Ryder Cup on the men's yeah. side. Uh could have could happen in amateur events like the Walker Cup and Curtis Cup. This is just a golf thing. Yep. And there's no perfect way. The President's Cup at one point on the men's side had a a one V one playoff and that wasn't great. I, I think it just is what it is. It's part of the tradition. And I think there's an element that Sports fans can enjoy and understand that if you want to be the champ, you got to beat the champ. You can't tie the champ. Sure. I think that's how we have to look at it. Yeah, I like that. Um, All right. Well, I want to do a quick recap of each of the days. So Friday morning was shook and texted you and some other people to see that U.S. was leading 4-0. I think... I personally thought that Europe was going to win in a landslide, and uh, this was a hot start by the U.S. uh, to prove us all wrong. No, we were talking uh, Thursday evening. I thought the European teams looked really strong on paper. Um, If you were looking at betting odds, I think you would probably say they would be betting favorites in at least three out of the four matches. And to wake up to see the U.S., you know, finish off a 4-0 sweep. I think it was also interesting that the sweep and it was a trend that would continue was in foursomes, also known as alternate shot. Yep. Uh, our team, our American uh, women played really well in the alternate shot format both days. 
and funny enough, really struggled in the four ball or best ball portion, which traditionally, similarly in the Ryder Cup, it seems that it's the other way around. The Europeans seem to gel and mold better in the challenging alternate shot, and the Americans tend to pick up ground in the more aggressive, more birdie fest type best ball format. But yeah, they come out to a 4-0 lead and looks like things are rolling from there. But, you know, give credit to Suzanne Pedersen and her team. They sure fought back and they fought back right away. Yeah, definitely. No, it was it was exciting to see the U.S. Um, leading 4-0 after the morning session on Friday. Um, so the afternoon, like Justin said, was four ball and things started to even out a little bit. Europe got three points in that session. The U.S. had one. So then it brought it to the U.S. was still leading five to three. Um, but, you know, leading into this, like Stacey Lewis was all about like she's going to use data to make her decision making, whereas Suzanne Pedersen was she had there was a funny quote where she said, like, you can only bring the horses to the water, but you can't make them drink it. Like, she was just going to let them, like, figure it out on their own. Or Stacey Lewis was much more data-oriented, probably provided some direction. Um, so it, it was good. It was exciting. It was fun to see. Um, and then, you know, Saturday, there was a bit of a momentum shift. But still, like you said, foursomes, the U.S. was still holding on. Um, and was still leading seven five, and then Saturday afternoon they tied it up so that it was eight to eight. Yeah, I I think the biggest takeaway when you talk about Friday and Saturday, yeah, and you look at the results, the player results, we just did not do very well, very well in the four ball, yeah, portion. Yeah, we only won one four ball match, tied I think two four ball matches. That's just not enough points. No. I mean, it, it, you got two points total in the in the two four ball, and you lose them both three to one, and, and you just dominated the the alternate shot foursomes. I mean, Allison Corpus two and zero oh and foursomes, Nelly two and zero oh and foursomes, Megan Kang, Lexi Thompson two and zero oh and foursomes. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a lot of dominant for some performance. Then you look at four ball, you know, Lilia Vu was 0-2, Ali Ewing was 0-2, Rose was 0-1-1, getting her only half point. Just a lot of surprising and struggling performances in the best ball portion. And really, I mean, you can rely on analytics. You can do a lot, but I think that tends to gel and make more sense when you're playing alternate shot. When it's best ball, it's, you know, Whoever's you playing well. completely opposite personalities yeah. and games, but maybe they just play well right. together. And you go see who can make the most birdies amongst the team. And yeah, we definitely did in that format. Yeah, it was interesting in the four ball format. Um, you know, Charlie Holy, Ona McGuire won four and three against Nellie Corda. It was that none of them were incredibly close um, in the four ball matches, um, really at all. I mean, you had you had ties on Friday, but by Saturday, it was they were all pretty clear wins. Um, mm-hmm. So it was just it was just like interesting to see. Um, it's funny to see that like the players gelled more in alternate shot on the U.S. side. Um, right. Yeah. No, super interesting. Um, it was fun to watch. Um, I really enjoyed the Saturday foursomes match of Danielle King and Andrea Lee. Like, didn't realize that they were going to gel so well um, with Lynn Grant and Maya Stark. And they only, you know, the Europeans only won uh, one up. So um, that was a pretty, like, 
just it was just a very exciting match and i felt like all weekend long i I really wanted to be like tuning in so it was fun for sure and i think it gets to the nature of how what makes these events so good it's the the patriotism the pageantry Mm -hmm. and when you have these matches where a half point versus a full point it just seems like when they get to the finish every little shot matters so much yeah you're one up going to 18 and you lose 18 and it's a half point instead of a full point it almost has the feel certain times of that you'll you didn't tie that you lost right and I think that's what makes these events so compelling and why you can see these swings. Yeah. Well, Sunday was primed to be awesome with the U.S. and Europe tied 8-8 eight to eight, um, and started out strong. Um, you know, we don't need to go through every single match. Like, the, overall, it was interesting to see that the U.S., you know, had some early wins with Megan Kang and Danielle Kang. And then it, it started to peter off. And this is when I probably started tuning in at like 9 930. Um, things were starting to get really close in that middle bunch of matches and you knew it was probably going to come down to the end, um, which which it did for the most part came to the penultimate match of uh, Nelly Corda and Carlota Singanda. Um, but I think the one thing that I like was keeping my eye on was Lexi. Like we were shocked that she was put out last to play against Emily Pedersen. Um, and saw that at one point she was like four up and then you saw like she started to lose some of the holes and you're like oh my gosh are we having like an olympic club um <laughs> deja vu moment um and fortunately she hang she hung on and won two and one but the final day was really fun and i think that's because like it really was close until the end yeah i think there were moments in the first third of the day where it felt like the U S might win. Yeah. Yeah. The Americans had a pretty strong pathway when Lynn Grant lost early, when Charlie Hull lost early, when, you know, Georgia Hall didn't win and tied like all of a sudden. And then Celine goes out and she loses. Those are some of the marquee. Right big time players and Europe didn't get the wins from them. And they're like, all right, I don't see a way that the Europeans can win or even tie. And then I think, you know, it all kind of changed. Like you said, in the middle, it looked like Gemma Dryball was going to win. Cheyenne Knight ends up tying her, but you know, the Caroline Headwall Allie Ewing match. That was fun. I mean, Allie Ewing was three up with about six holes to go. Yep. Maybe hit a few shaky shots and Headwall, who, I mean, Suzanne Pedersen didn't play her until Saturday afternoon. Like, that is almost unheard of. Like, that's as a, she was a captain's pick. Yep. You almost got the approach like she's trying to hide this player. And then she ends up flipping her match. You know, buried 13, 14, 16, and 17. Yep. And that's when all of a sudden you started to look at the board and you're like, well, I'm not sure if Europe's going to get to 14 and a half, but I'm not sure the U.S. can get to 14 and a half. Right. And, you know, Allison Corpus lost. Carlotta obviously, you know, kind of puts the the finishing touches in it on it and defeats Nelly. But, yeah, I mean – 
there's just it's such a long day yeah and these matches flip so fast that someone's two up and then all of a sudden it's tied and it's you're, you're projecting what could happen but there was that window there where it looked like the Americans were in really good shape with Allie Ewing three up on the back nine. And then once that went from a win in your back pocket to an actual loss, it got really murky and kind of felt like it was over. I think you texted me even before Carlotta actually had Nelly beaten there, you know, shortly there before and just said, this is over. And yeah, it kind of was. And, yeah. yeah I mean, at some point you can mathematically look at the leaderboard and you're just like, there's just, there's no way. Like it's, right. it's going to be a tie or they're going to win outright. Um, right. It was very fun to watch Caroline Headwall, like girlfriend knows how to celebrate on the golf course. She is like a beast. I, it was really what impressive. Yeah. Really no, impressive. A ton of credit. I mean, she played once on Saturday, lost, and then basically has the match that flips the whole event. She was, I think, the lowest ranked player in the in the event yeah. and was kind of a a pick that Suzanne Pedersen went with her gut versus maybe a more deserving younger player. Cause ten years ago she was four or five and zero, oh, and that was kind of Suzanne's rationale. And sometimes those things um Shake Those out. Things work out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's get into some most valuable players from both sides. Um, on Team USA, so just like sharing on paper, Megan Kang um went 301, beat Lynn Grant in singles, Lexi 3-1. Uh, she, you know, I think she impressed all of us by showing up. Like we spent the whole year saying she probably shouldn't be on the team. Um, and Cheyenne Knight, a rookie, two and a half points. Allison Corpus, two and a half points. Um, I, overall, though, Megan Kang was was probably my MVP for the week. Yeah, I think so. And it's so funny how the last Sunday singles, kind of like when it was at Inverness, where Cup Show was so good yeah. and then got drummed by Leona. You know, Allison Corpus has two and a half points going into Sunday and then loses her singles match. It's it's just like the weight of those singles yeah. matches is so big that it, it, it carries over all the good you did for two days or three or four sessions. Totally. And maybe someone just beat you or maybe someone just out executed you or it, you didn't have your moment and maybe somebody else wins that didn't play as well. But those singles matches just carry so much weight that when you go back on it, Allison had a great Solheim cup for a rookie, two and a half points going into Sunday, but she loses that match. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, well, you know, how good of an event was it versus if she ties or wins and all of a sudden has three and a half points and they likely win the cup. She is the MVP with Megan Kang. I mean, the margins are just so, so thin. Yeah. I mean, even you look at like Leona, Leona goes three and two plays all five sessions but wins her singles match over Rose to go three and two. How do you look at her if she loses and goes two and three? Right. It, it just, it just it doesn't carries, check out. Yeah. It carries so much weight and there's just so much pressure on those singles matches. But 
I think, you know, there's some some folks that stepped up. You know, Lexi had the yep. the, the kind of the I don't want to call it a shank chip or duff chip off the difficult lie, but rallied from that and three and one from a player that has, you know, struggled this year. It's I mean, impressive. Yeah. You, you, you would have taken it. I mean, uh, the U S didn't lose or tie the Solheim cup, you know, we'll get into some of the, the reasons why, but you know, I think a lot of people stepped up. Some of the rookies stepped up, some of the, experienced players stepped up and a few people in the middle or maybe even towards the top didn't carry their weight, but yeah, that was, uh, that's kind of the, the quick MVP from the U S side. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the Europeans, we talked about Leona three and two. I mean, her Solheim record is now eight and two it's wild. Lynn Grant was three and two, but lost in singles. And then Carlotta was four and oh, so good. Secures the cup with, you know, two great shots at 17 and 18 in her home country, um, in her home country. I, I think, you know, we'll transition. I, you hate to call it least valuable players, but, but they were, you know, <laughs> but some of these people were, I mean, that's, <laughs> You know, the fun part of doing this is you can put your opinion out there. I mean, for the year, if I keep coming back to this when I was doing some research, like Celine Boutier, who was the best player in the world, probably all summer with the two besides wins, maybe Lilia Vu. Yeah. Those two goes 0 and 3. So Celine gets zero points. Charlie gets one point. Georgia gets one and a half points. So those three people, those three players, those staples of Solheim Cups, players that have played well all year. Charlie Hall finishes second every other tournament right, right now. Right. So Celine, Charlie, and Georgia get two and a half points between the three of them, and Europe retains, retains. the cup. Yeah. That that just doesn't seem possible. It just gets to what you'll talk about here with where it was lost because Europe won it with like depth in the middle and people like, you know, Caroline Headwall and Lynn Grant and, yep. you know, writing, you know, players like Leona, the crucial wins because their stars weren't great. No, no well, stars did not show means. up really. Yeah. In fact, their stars were, were bad. I mean, you go even to the singles, Selena obviously lost, Charlie lost, and Georgia got tied. Right. Hey, okay, if I say that to you on Sunday or Saturday night, Selena's going to lose, Charlie's going to lose, and Georgia's going to tie. You're going to say, okay, they get killed. Right. Right. And like on paper, like Roseng had a good year. She like probably should have won more matches that she participated in. Right. But yeah. and, and some of that's the luck of the draw. Sometimes you play well and get beat. Yeah. And these and your record isn't in always fair, but uh, you can talk about the three players we kinda highlighted if you want from the the USA side, all of which lost singles matches. Yeah, too. so Jennifer Cupcho, who played well in twenty twenty one, went O two one, Rosang zero three one, and Ali Ewing won three. She lost in her singles. Um and like Jennifer Cupcho you know, she was a, a star, I guess, of the 2021 Solheim Cup. Roseang, just, you would have just thought she wouldn't have lost three of her matches. Um, so, it, you know, they were just, they underperformed, which you just don't know. You don't know how it's going to shake what's out. Called? 
Yeah. That's golf and that's how these tournaments are. And you don't know who the star is going to be. No. And you don't know who the, the, the fall person is going to be in all of this. Yeah. Somebody I wanted to recognize was certainly Angel Yin, who won two and one over Celine Boutier. Um, I think for Angel, you know, she finished well in a lot of the major championships this year and, you know, didn't get it done. And it was, you know, I listened to her um, interview with Randy on No Laying Up. And, you know, she started the year saying, like, she didn't even know if she wanted to be on the Solheim Cup team. It, like, wasn't something that excited her. And to see her just, like, be so pumped up on, Sunday during that match was very fun and I, I hope very gratifying for her. Um, so I, I, she's not like an MVP, but I think like she's somebody that definitely should be, you know, noted based on her full no, year. Totally agree. And she only got to play three sessions. She did pick up along with Cheyenne Knight, the one right. win yep. that the Americans had in the four ball. Yep. And then she wins her singles match. So all of a sudden, you know, it's it's a two in one performance from a player that only played three sessions. I, I think again, it's a prime example of how the weight of the singles match carries everything. You know, yeah. Andrea Lee ties her singles match, goes one, two, and one. Angel Yin wins her singles match and goes two and one. Right. It's it's just a much different feel from players that probably had similar experiences. Yeah. No, it's super interesting. Um, so, nope, overall, overall, really good stuff. Um, I, the only, like, uh, there's plenty of other podcasts that talk about the coverage. I think at the end of the day, like, feed was really, really bad. Um, and that's, you know, just because, like, they were using a company that was overseas. You're not having your normal golf channel producers and um, right. everything in between. We don't need to really get into it, but um, I'm, you know, Hopefully, the amount of complaints and the issues will just be alleviated in 2024 when it happens outside of Washington, D.C. at Robert Trent Jones Golf Club. And yeah, I think, you know, John Wood was on the property. He does a great job with Golf Channel and NBC. I am a big fan and have gotten to meet and know very casually a lot of the folks at work on the for the golf channel side. I think they do a great job. I think you're handcuffed. You're not controlling yes. the coverage. There's no, no producer of yours. It's there. I think anything you read, no, you kind of know about that, but it sounds like it's similar for the Ryder cup, even that yes. they might have more on course or more, you know, in the booth folks there, but it's, they're not the ones controlling the camera. And I think the best example that I think was the, the Corpus match was even through seven or eight holes on Sunday, and they hadn't shown her yet. Right, right. I, no, I know. I it's know just... it's hard. You've got a lot going on. That's like you're trying to show golf. You're trying to show impactful shots. At points, there's 12 matches on the golf course. It can't be easy from a production standpoint, but – Yeah. I think at the end of the day, if you're going to put like a lot of your marketing strength and funds behind something, you have to back it up with the product. So if you have to pull from somewhere else because you need to make sure that this product is best represented, then like make the right decision to do it. Um, But yes, I thought like it was, you know, the team in the booth and on the course, Judy Reichen is always so good to listen to. She's got such so honest too. Yeah. She's gotten now that she's like a part part time person. Yeah. I think her personality shines better because she's not afraid to criticize 
either right. a captain, a vice captain, a player. She's so far removed from being a player and largely removed from seeing these players week to week that I think she comes in and can just say, hey, that's not good enough. That's a curious decision. I'm not sure why this was done or yep. why the person did that. I think it's very refreshing because so much of golf is just, oh, she's sure trying her best or she's or he's, you know, it's good to see something honest once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope that she's back in the booth um, next year at Robert Trent Jones Golf Club. Um, and overall, it'll be great when it's back in the United States. You just have the full production crew and everything that they're used to week after week. Um, I see you put a note in here about getting off the Ryder Cup schedule. What are your yeah, thoughts? I, it's interesting. I think there's probably some bias because we were so involved and so around the 2021 event and they were not back to back. I thought when 2021 was the same year as the Ryder Cup and Solheim was around Labor Day, I thought it created some buzz. And maybe that's because it was domestic and maybe it's because it was local for us, but some buzz within the golf world. Mm-hmm. The Ryder Cup is so big. It's It doesn't matter if it's in Europe, the U.S. It's such a big, massive golf event yeah. that especially having these in back-to-back weeks. Like I couldn't believe yesterday I stopped home for lunch and flip on the TV, and there's a live from the Ryder Cup at 10 a.m. on a Monday for an event that starts on Friday and right. the whole crew's there and the whole production's there. Literally, you know, 24 hours later, less than that, the Solheim Cup is ending in dramatic fashion. And yes, they covered it, but the Ryder Cup just swallows it. It swallows every, if you listen to golf radio, on Sirius XM or watch the golf channel. Even last week, it was, it wasn't about the Solheim. It's all about what are potential pairings in the Ryder cup? When's the team getting there? Yeah. I totally flipped and think it's in the Solheim cups best interest to go back to back years, even though I don't love that and get off the Ryder cup schedule and try to create your own traction because it is a great event. It's a growing event, but especially in back-to-back weeks, that's, that was again, the LPGA LET probably have no control over how that is scheduled, but that's a disastrous break too. I know it's interesting because a lot of people were like, they should be the same week, but I think the same thing would happen. Like, I still think the Ryder Cup would just swallow up all the attention. Like, I think we're all kind of sometimes living in like la la land by thinking if like they're going to be the same week, it's going to like lift the women's side. I'm I'm just not sure. I don't know if I believe that. Well, and Stacey Lewis brought up like that she didn't feel the Ryder Cup supported the Solheim Cup enough from. I don't know, sure. publicity, partnership, whatever it may be. I mean, Abby, if they were the same week. I, they where, wouldn't get any attention. Where would, the, where would it even be on TV? I know. CNBC? Right. Peacock. Maybe. Yeah, maybe it's on Peacock. And who would be there? And, I mean, John Wood would be there. I mean. Yeah. I, I think that's something that sounds idealistic, but it, it, it just doesn't work. It needs to be separated it probably needs to be every other year and you know it's tough these fall events are tough football dominates the american sporting landscape whether it's college 
or pro. That's one of the reasons why I love when they're in Europe because they're on early, early in the morning. It's over by lunchtime. And if you want to watch football, you can continue on with your day. I think that makes it tough when it's, you know, in the fall. That's why I love the Labor Day event for us because it's before football really gets going. But yeah, it is what it is. But at the end of the day, I agree that I think getting off the, the Ryder Cup, you know, be, yeah. from beyond their cloud and i feel i mean even as just a golf fan when you look at the players and the Ryder cups just gotten so big yeah. and the names in it are so big the venues is just you need to steer clear of it no i know it's funny i like didn't think i would agree with that but i'm i do tend to lean that way and like there are other solutions right like you can make the president's cup a mixed event and like that's a probably a better solution. Um, right. So that's the Solheim Cup. We did it. Um, we did it. Really quick, need to uh, thank our friends at Gooder Sunglasses. Um, they've been a great partner this year. This is, uh, I think this is the last month of their partnership with us. So um, great year. They are 100% polarized at only $25. They're great for running, cycling, working out, all the above. Um, so if you want to support the show and pick up a pair, Gooder is giving for the ladies mixed bag listeners free shipping on your first order go to gooder.com that's g-o-o-d-r.com forward slash ftl um, and use promo code ftl to get free shipping so get your orders in before that that promo period ends and as a reminder the promo code information is at the bottom of the podcast notes because always a friend of mine asks <laughs> oh, what's that promo code or what do I do? I just literally click on the podcast, go to the bottom, copy it, and send it right to him in a text message. Exactly. Easy. We make it as easy as possible for y'all to get best. your own. Um, well, before we conclude, just wanted to quickly share, we've got three ter- or two tournaments back in the U.S., and then there is the Asian Swing until November. Um, so the two events are the Walmart Arkansas Championship and the Ascendant LPGA Benefiting Volunteers of America. And then, yes, Asian Swing until November. So... Coming to a close, but still, honestly, a ton of events left. <laughs> it's a wall. Like we, t- we talked about the schedule so much. It's like, you feel it just like doesn't oh, end. you're ending a chapter on this. And you look at the schedule, it's like, all right, there's an event in Texas. There's an event in Arkansas. There's three events in Asia. It's like, holy cow. Then they come back. They still got to play the Pelican event, which is an event I like. You know, I mean, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. Um, well, since I passed on doing the player segment, uh, player spotlight, I wanted to to quickly end the episode with a player spotlight. Um, I chose. I went to the European side. I went to Justin's side and chose Gemma Dryberg. Um, she was on the. European Solheim Cup team who retained the cup. She was born and raised in Scotland, but moved to the U.S. when she was when she turned 15 to go to IMG Academy in Florida. Um, in her bio on her website, she shares that the highlight of her amateur career was playing for GBNI in the 2014 Curtis Cup. So uh, that is the amateur version of the Solheim Cup. Um, she went to Tulane University and had two collegiate wins. Um, but after graduating, she played on the Ladies European Tour in. 
2016 and 2017. Um, but in 2018, she qualified for the LPGA tour. And today she still plays both the LPGA and LET tours, which is certainly one of the reasons why she was on the European team. Uh, she's three LET wins, one LPGA tour win. And I thought her LET wins were like very interesting. Um, they were both the Rose Lady series events, which are owned by Justin Rose and his wife. And she also won the first women's event at Royal St. George's. So um, on the LPGA, her first win, her only win on the LPGA is the 2022 Toto Japan Classic. And this year has been like fine, pretty just like middle of the road finishes. Um, Mm -hmm. Her best finish was the was eighth at the Amundi Evian Championship. And in Solheim Cup, she had two ties. So, um, just like middle of the road, but like really good person. She spends a lot of the time in the U S and, um, obviously had to give her a shout out because she actually played in one of our happy hour nine events this year in new Orleans and played with three brand new beginner golfers. And she had a blast, like so freaking cool. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It tells you what type of person someone is too. Like I'm going to come to this event for no reason just because right. I'm a golfer and I love golf. I'm not getting and paid. I'm not being paid. And oh, by the way, yeah, sure. I'll play with these folks that have never played golf. <laughs> they, they literally, one of the girls that played with her had been to our clinic. And then this was her very first time on the golf course. Oh, so an LPGA pro. <laughs> yeah. It's just so good. Yeah, it's great. Well, Justin, it was a pleasure. We made it through another Solheim Cup. We did. Um, my, my goal is to get us in the broadcast booth at the next Toledo collegiate event. You know what? You got to have goals. The problem is you're going to have to beat up like some communications major <laughs> that, that thinks they're the next Marie Listen, kid. Like <laughs> Let me tell right. you, child, I have some intel. <laughs> I, I have, I, I tried to be big J journalism. Yeah. Hey, kid, did you win the couples club championship yeah. at this oh, course? Here, yeah, I don't here, here, here she comes. Here she comes. <laughs> We're about to for a post. Honestly, I'm surprised I made it 38 minutes before saying something. So, hey, everybody remembers their first win. I give you That's credit. That's right. All right, Justin. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Abigail. Have a wonderful evening. Talk soon.